Good morning, brothers and sisters. It's good to be here. We're in a message series where we're talking about five core dynamics that Paul gives us in Ephesians chapter 4 that every church needs in order to be healthy and to thrive. Uh, The last two weeks we talked about the first core dynamic, which is grace-filled togetherness, unity, community. Uh, Today and probably next week, we're going to talk about the second core dynamic, which is a courageous commitment to truth. A courageous commitment to truth. And this morning, we just heard Paul talk about truth. I'll remind you in case you have a very short memory. Ephesians 4.15, speaking the truth in love, we must grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Or to simplify that, speaking the truth in love, we must grow up in every way into Christ. Speaking the truth in love, let's stop there. Let's, let's, even, let's make it shorter, speaking the truth. Last week, I talked about some parameters and boundaries that Paul gave us on grace-filled togetherness. And in Ephesians 4 and in the entire New Testament, we are given more parameters, more boundaries on this second core dynamic, which is speaking the truth. And the first parameter, the first boundary that we are given when it comes to speaking the truth is feedback. Feedback will always interfere with truth when it's being spoken. (laughs) Speaking the truth in love. So that's the first parameter. That's the first boundary that we are given. So when you speak the truth to a person or a group, or speak the truth about a person or a group, if you are not speaking from a place of authentic love. And by authentic love, I mean when you can truly feel, and I come back to the emotion, feel a sincere desire for the well-being of the person or group you're speaking to or speaking about. If you cannot feel a desire, the sincere wish that they will be happy, that they will prosper, If you can't feel that desire, then don't speak. Now, I'll just just tell you up front that this sermon is, is for me as much as anyone, maybe more than anyone. It's been a convicting week to get into this. But that doesn't... I mean, a part of me wanted to come up and make one statement and then sit down, but I thought that's, that's dramatic, and I did, just didn't feel, I didn't feel like God was pleased with that plan. It also gets me out of a lot of work, right? But so, um, laziness is, is not typically next to godliness. So, so it's with fear and trembling, and I hope with humility, that I, that I um, speak about truth, and hopefully actually speak some truth to you this morning. But let's, let's put this in context, what I'm saying. I hear... You know, never before in history have more human beings given opportunity and a platform for speaking their truth. I mean, with with the modern technology, with social media, with the internet, 
I mean, the vast majority of human beings have the capacity, the ability, the opportunity to speak their truth to to hundreds, thousands, millions of other people. And in in a sense, that's that's a good thing. Uh, You know, equality, equal distribution of of power. And in in one sense, I celebrate that. but, But the fruit of that seems to be more division, more hatred, more anger, more violence, more negativity. And it seems to me that the vast majority of human beings, unfortunately including Christians, have taken this opportunity to speak their truth as a license to blame and to shame and to name call and to scapegoat. So when we speak our truth or when we we type our truth into our Facebook status update or when we share a link to the truth online and we cannot do that from a place where we sincerely desire the well-being of the person or group we are speaking truth to or speaking truth about, then we need to not speak or type that so-called truth. Donald Trump, I, I, I hear a lot of truth being spoken from him, but I, but I hear probably more uh, being spoken about him. And frankly, I, I don't see the love. You know, we all have a person or a group that we really struggle to love. For some of us Christians, it's, it's other Christians. Right? You know, I, whoever the group is, whether it's Donald Trump, the Republicans, the Democrats, you know, Kathleen Wynne, Justin Trudeau, uh, Stephen Harper, you know, feminists, Muslims, who, whoever your group is that you struggle to love, and you have one, if, if the next time you want to speak truth about this person or this group or type the truth about this person or group and you can't do it, sincerely feeling an authentic desire for their well-being, for them to prosper and to be happy and joyful, then stop. That's the first message. I guess in essence I would sum it up that we, we need less speaking and more love. Okay, so that's the first, first parameter. Um, it's, it's, un, it's unfortunate that we Christians, and by we Christians, I mean, I mean the, the, the conservative evangelical fundamentalists and, and the progressive liberal, all of us, it feels, it seems, myself included, that we're contributing to the negativity and, and the hatred and the division in our world. And it has to stop. One of the things that first attracted me to, well, there was many things. One of the things that, that drew me towards walking through life with the Mennonites was the first few Mennonites that I encountered and developed a relationship with was they they talked about this being the quiet in the land. And I'm like, oh, that's good. (laughs) Um, I I came from a a background uh, whose motto was being the loudest voice in the world. So I, I, I really... I was really attracted to this. Speak less. I mean, James, I love the book of James. James chapter 1, 19. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak. 
Verse 21, if you claim to be spiritual but don't control your tongue, you are fooling yourself. Your spirituality is worthless. Paul talks, I mean, James talks a lot about the tongue. Chapter 3, verse 6, the tongue is a fire. A world of evil among the parts of the body, it corrupts the whole body. It sets the whole course of one's life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. Wow. I mean, that should give us pause before we speak and type our so-called truth. I mean, you know, I hear people say this and, and I, I, know, I know I've said it myself. You know, I'm, hey, I'm just telling it like it is, man. <laughs> I'm just telling it like it is. And, you know, there's, a, there's this, this ancient saying uh, that, that originates in the Talmud, which is a Jewish commentary, of um, an ancient Jewish commentary of the Hebrew Scriptures. And it, it goes something, it's translated something like this. We do not see things as they are. We see things as we are. So whenever you're telling it like it is, you're not telling it like it is. You're, you're telling it like you are. <laughs> right? There's a world of difference between the way things are and the way you see them, myself included. So let's, let's not spread the hellfire that seems to be ravaging our planet. I have a friend, I'm I just so grateful, he... he he and his family came up, spent a night with us just a couple weeks ago. He's a, a professor of cultural geography, and he's brilliant. And I love just, we, we stay up late at night and we talk, because I love our conversations. And, and both he and I are very disillusioned with social media, and we don't know what to do with it. Sometimes we will participate, and then we will withdraw, um, because, you know, spending any amount of time on there, you, you literally feel like you need a shower, at least I do. It's... It, it's it's just, it's, it's taken over first place position from the church of, of a place for egos to hide. <laughs> We're a distant second now, but I think we still have silver medal. Um, and it's ugly. It's just ugly. And he, he told me for, for the last, you know, three, four years, um, he has committed himself to only posting positive messages. Messages of life and light. This guy's brilliant. If anyone could, could uh, post social commentary, critical social commentary that's actually worth listening to, it would be my friend who is a professor of cultural geography. But he does not do it because he's only feeding the hellfire that is completely eradicating any form of meaningful discourse. It just it seems to not exist anymore. It's, it seems like all we do is find someone who disagrees with us, and, and then, and then we, we, we demonize them, right? That's what, that's what conversation looks like in our current state of affairs. We need to be light in that. We need to be light in this darkness. Whenever you feel a desire, a need, an impulse to speak the truth... Nine times out of ten, and I'm rounding down, that, that, is, that is what Paul calls the flesh. 
And you know, over 2,000 years, we, we've, we, we've developed a much better and nuanced understanding of what Paul means by the flesh. And, and I've talked about this before. It's uh, my understanding, there's three primary aspects of the flesh, and that, that would be ego, that would be pain body, and that would be false self. And ego is basically that part of, of you and I that wants to be the center and important and separate from everyone else. And, and the pain body is, is, is basically this entity. It's like a virus that takes on a life of its own. It's, it's, it's made up of pain that's built up, accumulated in our lives, pain that we haven't faced and dealt with, and, and it and it's, turns into this organism within us, an organism that wants to survive and thrive, and, and in order to do that, it needs to feed on more pain. That's the main diet of the pain body. So what it does is it forces us to misinterpret um, circumstances and events and situations uh, so that they become painful. So someone says something to us, probably no ill intent at all, but our pain body will make sure we find some pain in that because it needs, it's hungry. It needs to feed. So then, basically, whenever you're, you're triggered, if you know that, maybe you don't know that language, but well, you know when you feel something's going on, that's your pain body waking up and saying it's feeding time. So that's the pain body. And, and the, fa- the final one is of the flesh is false self. And the false self is basically that image that we put out there that we want people to see when they, when they think of us. And the, the false self is... I get a sense, of, a sense of self that we think we ought to be or want to be or want others to see us as. And the problem with false self is, is we're often not aware of it. We actually come to believe that that is who we are. So it's not like that, that we're lying. We're not being truthful because it's not who we are, but we're, we're no longer conscious of it. Nine times out of ten, it's usually the ego. When you feel that, that growing desire to speak the truth. That's usually your ego. And the reason for that is, is speaking the truth is Halloween candy to the ego. I mean, the ego feeds on being right. The pain body feeds on pain. And there's, there's, you know, often it's your pain body speaking as well. Because right now, there's been just this corruption of victim language. The ego hides as a victim and, and communicates in very controlling ways. It's actually, it's, it's fascinating to, to see how clever the ego is and the different disguises that it will wear in order to, to seek control. That's the pain body. That's victim. Let's go, come back to the ego. That sense, uh, uh, that part of you that wants to be the center, that wants to be important and separate from others. Well, speaking the truth accomplishes all three of those in a splendid, spectacular way. I mean, if, if, if you're speaking the truth, you, you're the center of that conversation because you have the truth. And you're also very important because you have the truth. And you're also separate from the other because you're the one who knows the truth and they don't and you're informing them. So there's this, this beautiful uh, you know, feeling of superiority that comes along with speaking the truth. And it, it, it's, it's, it's sugar or maybe even cocaine to the ego. The, the ego just loves this. Now, if you, can, if you can up that to not, it's no longer speaking the truth, but it's speaking God's truth, well, it doesn't get any better than that for the ego, right? Which is why churches and religious systems in general are very attractive for egos. Very attractive for the particular position that I'm in. That's why, you know, some, some church members 
don't understand why it's so important that pastors spend copious amounts of time in prayer and meditation. Go on spiritual retreats, etc. The reason that's so important, and I realize on some level it seems like a waste of money. We're paying you to do stuff. The problem is, if your pastor doesn't do that, you are guaranteed to be directed and led by an eagle. And that's not good. Church is, is, is a breeding ground for ego. We could talk a lot more about that, but, but coming back to this speaking the truth. Every time we speak truth out of uh, the flesh, ego, pain, body, false self, well, we're, we're, we're doing what James says. We're lighting the world on fire, the fire of hell, and we're, we are consumed by that fire. The only truth speaking that can bring life, bring healing, bring transformation is truth that is spoken out of the opposite of being in the flesh. Now, if you're familiar with Paul's writings in the New Testament, he basically gives us Christians two operating modes. We are either in the flesh or we are in the Someone knows. Spirit. In the flesh or in the spirit. Okay. The only truth that can be spoken and actually bring life, actually make this world a better place, and actually not set your own life on fire with the fire of hell, is to speak the truth when we are in the spirit. Okay. So what does that mean? Well, well let's back this up. You can only speak the truth, life-giving truth, when you are in the truth. In the truth. So, let me do some uh, theological gymnastics here, very, very, very quickly. I mean, I could take an hour to do this, but I could also take 30 seconds to do it. Let's go with 30 seconds. (laughs) Bible tells us God is love. Okay, so to speak the truth in love is to speak the truth in God. Well, the Bible also tells us God is spirit. So, so to, to speak the truth in love is to speak the truth in spirit. Now, spirit is, is an interesting... What has an interesting interconnectedness with truth in the Scripture. Like, for example, John 4, verse 24. Jesus speaking, Jesus tells us God is spirit. And those who worship God must worship in spirit and in truth. There's this interconnectedness between these. So worship, worship isn't to butter God up and flatter God, right? Worship is, is to, well, it's to enter into that top priority that I've talked about for several weeks. I've articulated two different ways, and I, I want you to memorize them because I think if I've ever spoken truth, I think this is it. And that the top priority of your life as a Christian and the top priority of us as a church I'll put it two ways. The first way is this, to be present with divine presence. Say it with me because it's going to be a test. There will be a test. To be present with divine presence. The second way of articulating that, to recognize and respond to the Spirit of Christ with us. It's a little longer, but I think you can do it. Repeat with me. To recognize and respond to the Spirit of Christ with us. Okay. Worship is doing that. Worship is entering into into 
intimate communion with the Spirit of God present with us. So in order to do that, we must do that, worship, in spirit and in truth. There's this, it's not even, it's deeper than an interconnection between spirit and truth. In fact, the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. It's more than interconnection, it's synthesis in a sense. I'll read a verse for you. John chapter 14, verse 16. Again, Jesus speaking. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate, the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, who will never leave you. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of truth. Now the world cannot receive the Spirit of truth because it does not recognize him and does not know him. But you know him, you are intimately connected with him, for he abides with you and he will be in you. Now, I'm going I'm to unpack this, and I'm going to go over time, and I'm, I'm going to do it unapologetically. Um, the first line is that the spirit of truth is with you most of the time? No. The spirit of truth will never leave you. As a disciple of Jesus, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, the spirit of truth is with you. See... We never need the spirit of truth to show up. What we always need is for us to show up, right? That's the spiritual journey, us showing up, us being present with the spirit of truth who is already present. That's why the practice of presence is is our top priority. Okay, so the spirit of truth is always with us, and if we would like to show up, we will actually experience the spirit of truth. Okay. The world can't receive the spirit of truth. So the world, the Greek word here is cosmos with a K. Our English word cosmos with a C comes from this Greek word cosmos with a K. But the the cosmos with a K has a much broader meaning. Our notion of cosmos means the world, the universe. Cosmos with a K, here's the first definition. I'm going to give you four. There's actually more. First definition is this. Order, an ordered system a harmonious arrangement or constitution. Second definition, ornament, decoration, adornment. Third definition, the world, the universe, the earth. Fourth definition, the inhabitants of the world. I was going to take some time to go through all those, but I'm just going to cut to the chase. I think what Jesus is implying here is definition number two. In fact, it's where the word cosmetic comes from. Cosmos, cosmetic. Adornment. Decoration. Cosmetic means done or made for the sake of appearance. And Jesus, in this passage, is implying that the cosmos, the cosmetic people, these, these are people who have the potential to receive the spirit of truth, but they don't. Why? Because they don't recognize the spirit of truth. They don't recognize the Spirit. They don't see. In fact, Jesus says they don't see the Spirit of truth. And Jesus talks about this a lot. You can't be born again until you see. Okay, so why can't cosmetic people, why can't they receive or see the Spirit of truth? Deep calls unto deep. Cosmetic people are, whatever they do, is for the appearance of things. It's on the surface. Jesus 
primary critique and rebuke of people was hypocrisy. Now, we often understand hypocrisy to mean that we say one thing and we do another. And that's not really what it means. It, it means a thespian. It means to wear a mask. It's really talking about persona, ego, false self. That's what Jesus is talking about. This, here's a quote from Tony Robbins. I find him interesting. Um, a lot of what he says makes a lot of sense to me, and some of what he says makes absolutely no sense to me. But I guess that would be most people, including myself, so I don't know why I'd hold him to that standard. He says this, The strongest force in the whole human personality is the need to stay consistent with how we define ourselves. Now, this is, this is good news and bad news, depending on how you define yourself. Now, if you define yourself in terms of your ego, so if you define yourself, let's say, as a really good person who tries to help people as much as he or she can, you will not be able to receive the spirit of truth because you will be concerned about the fixated, focused on the appearance of things. This central force, we can't control this force, the strongest force of the human personality, which is to maintain consistency with how we define ourselves. You, will have, you, you won't be able to control it. You will be fixated on maintaining that image of yourself, making sure that's how other people see you. Now, the opposite is true as well. If you have this core belief, it might even be subconscious, but if you have this central defining belief about yourself that you're a loser, doesn't matter what I try, I'm going to end up failing and losing. Well, you, even subconsciously, this force is activated in your life, and you will do whatever it takes to maintain consistency with this central core belief of how you define yourself as a loser, right? That's just psychology 101. That could be argued, but, but, but there's some truth to it. Now, the good news here is, is if you actually understand the central invitation of Christianity, the central invitation of Christianity is to rediscover the central defining statement of your identity, which is you are made in the image of God. The whole message of Christ is you are now in Christ. Your identity is in Christ. You are spirit. You are in spirit. Your, your core defining characteristic, more than a characteristic, the essence of who you are is your oneness with the spirit of God. When you understand that, then you activate this force, the strongest force in the human personality, that will do anything it can to maintain consistency with that core self-definition. Make sense? Yeah. So it's, it's so important to just keep coming back. You know, not, not that I promote, you know, waking up every morning and doing the affirmations in the mirror, but maybe you should. I am in Christ. I mean, Paul talks about it all the time. He got it. He understood this. It's no longer Paul who's walking around. It's no longer my ego. It is Christ who lives and looks at me in the mirror. When you get that, when you activate that, your life will change. You will experience authentic transformation because of this internal force that God has given all of us, the strongest force of the personality. What's interesting is most Christians, we continue to identify with the things that Jesus told us to stop identifying with, the family. I mean, Jesus used hyperbole to shake us free from these, these self-definitions, unless you hate your family. I mean, he was trying to get our attention. Do you get it? That's not who you are. But I love my family. They're great. That's not the point. 
That's not who you are. But yet we continue to define ourselves by our family, our heritage, by our our gender, our sexuality. What does Paul say? No longer male or female. Get over that. That's not who you are. It's not who you are. It's It's not the central defining essence of who you are. That is Christ. It's not your possessions. It's not your wealth. It's not your successes. It's not your degrees. It's not your failures. None of that stuff, yet we continue to identify with those things. And when we do, we are cosmetic Christians, fixated and focused on the appearance of things. And we cannot receive the spirit of truth. We can't. We can't. And that's the whole point. I mean, the great tragedy is that the majority of us have, have not really experienced any substantial transformation in our lives. Yet we go to church, you know, every week. What happens, the only change is that our egos become religiousized and learn a new language, a new guise, a new mask under which to operate and thrive. Is this good news? I... Okay, thank you. I needed that affirmation because I want to maintain the appearance of me being someone who promotes good news. (laughs) Forgive me, God. Jesus continues, and I'm almost done. Jesus continues, but you, you're not cosmetic people. You know the spirit of truth. You are intimately connected with the spirit of truth. He abides with you, and in a short while, the spirit of truth will abide in you. Now, Jesus, to the, the disciples in that context, was talking to uh, you know, Peter, James, and John. And he's saying, you know the spirit of truth. He's talking about himself. The spirit of truth is with you, in me, right? And in a little while... The Spirit of Truth will actually be within you. Not just with you, but within you. That's why I need to go away. So the Spirit of Truth can be within you. So there's these two stages. Now, for us, it's a a little different, but it's the same, like everything. When we recognize the Spirit of Truth in Christ, and here's here's why the, the idea of incarnation is so central. We not only recognize the Spirit of Truth in Jesus, But we recognize ourselves in Jesus, our humanity. When we recognize those two things, then we recognize the spirit of truth is within us. And then the spirit of truth enters into our lives, primarily in our consciousness. Am I losing? I think I might be losing people. But for those who I'm not, stay with me. How How do I? God, help me to say this in the simplest way possible. Look at Jesus. He is the Spirit of God. He is you. In Him, those two things come together. And when that happens, not just in your mind, not just as a a, a doctrine or a belief, but when it happens existentially, when you experience that coming together, that's when the Spirit of truth can enter into your being. I think that's as clearly as I can say it. John 16, 13, when the Spirit of truth comes into you, when the Spirit of truth comes into your conscious awareness... He will guide you into all truth. Hope I'm bringing this home. (laughs) When the spirit of truth, when you are in tune, when you're in complete harmony, then all truth is now accessible to you. And in reality, anything you speak will be life-giving, freeing, renewing, healing, transforming truth. You with me? 
If you don't believe me, try it. Let's see what happens. And here's my final message, and I need to stop. Is those of you, when you enter into that space, being in the Spirit, and next week I'll talk a bit more about how we can recognize that, but when you're in the Spirit, it's so important that you speak. Everybody else is speaking. Please, when you are in that space, speak the truth in love.